You're listening to Legal NI, a podcast by McCartan Turkington Breen Solicitors, available on Spotify. We are a full-service law firm based in Northern Ireland. We have expertise in a wide range of legal matters, and if you require expert advice, contact us today. Learn more at www.mtb-law.co.uk. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, We have today a figure who will be familiar to us uh, from a lot of the work he's been doing over the pandemic uh, the last year, 18 months, nearly two years now. Uh, Colin Colin Neal is the Chief Executive of Hospitality Ulster, uh, Northern Ireland's largest uh, trade body for the hospitality trade, representing restaurants, hotels, off-licenses and bars all around the province. So, Colin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Colin. Pleasure to be here. I'd say two Collins, two price, two for the price of one. Yes, that's right. That's the first time you ever said it's a pleasure to have to speak to me, Colin. I must say, <laughs> Don't worry, there's 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 no fee attached to this one. That that's why it's a pleasure. <laughs> Is that right? Clock's not running, Colin. Um, obviously, I've introduced you there as the chief executive, and and I suspect that uh, that. Uh, Many people listening to this podcast may already know of who you are and have introduced you. But could you just give us a little bit of an idea about your background before you came to hospitality trade? Oh gosh, Colin, uh, as I say, I have more of a career trail than a career path. I'm an electrician who uh, went into be a uh, moved to be an electronic service engineer, moved into retail moved into town centre management, then local authority, then here. And parallel with that, I was a part-time crew commander in the fire and rescue service. And once upon a time, a DJ. What can I say? DJ, wheels of steel, Colin, wheels of steel. Now, obviously, uh, this is a legal-based podcast and you've had a wide and varied employment history, Colin, before you came to the hospitality industry. Were there any big differences? Obviously, you were in a position of management and local authority and councils, and then you went to the hospitality industry. And whilst there's law involved in both of those areas, um, can you perhaps give your impressions of what the interface between law and the hospitality trade is like compared to perhaps the other roles that you had? Very much so. The, the huge difference, I think, for hospitality is it's so heavily regulated. You know, there's so many laws applying. Whether that be you know, food, indeed even accommodation, like in, in the UK where we have one of the strictest accommodation, visitor accommodation regimes, um, and then you know you go across into entertainment, and then look, alcohol, uh, so heavily regulated, uh, and operating in regulations that are really outdated. So it's very much, I think, an industry that is under the scrutiny from an awful lot more people rather than just normal legal requirements. I think that the major part of our laws are still in place since 1996. So we can genuinely say last century now. Yes. And, you know, I think maybe people listening to podcasts wouldn't understand that the difference between ourselves perhaps and other jurisdictions in the islands, particularly perhaps in England, where would it be true to say that over the last few years, 10, 20 years, that regulation has become perhaps a bit more light touch? Yeah, very much so. Uh, GB has moved away. I mean, they've had um, 
they, they did a review of all red tape and GB and had a policy. It was you know, every time you wanted banana law, you had to take two out. So they have got you know a lot more light touch in that, but also you know the the boundaries within the law are much more flexible, whereas ours are still very very tight uh, on what you can do. I mean, a, a typical example, even if I pick out licensing, you know, me. In Northern Ireland, you can't sell alcohol after 11 p.m. unless it's in cellar to the main event, which means you have to have live music or food available. You know, that doesn't exist in GB. Um, it's just you either have a late license or you don't. And there's lots of nuances like that to make it much more complicated and more expensive. Yes, and I think, Con, it's fair to say, a lot of your drive over the last time since you've been in hospitality Ulster is perhaps to try and get that licensing law updated and perhaps relaxed in some areas to allow in a more to try and promote a more commercial space for licensed businesses. Absolutely. Like and, and it's one of the things I suppose that always concerns me that people think that that's all we're about was the licensing laws for a long time. Obviously COVID has maybe changed that perception a bit. But the licensing laws were such a big thing because they were so outdated and it has taken like I've been working on it for over 10 years to get them changed and we've had some degree of success because there are lots of other policies and, and right you know even into our planning policies here that need addressed how hospitality businesses are rated differently than others needs addressed and there's lots of other issues legal issues and challenges that affect the industry but licensing law was up there i think partly because in northern ireland it can be a bit controversial as well Yes, that, that's one topic I think it might be quite interesting for the readers who hear about the Assembly and what the Assembly's role is in creating and enacting laws here and controlling our environment and lives and how they influence it. But you've been at the forefront of, of, of I suppose, lobbying is a bit of a strong word, but certainly trying to be there and cooperate with the Assembly generally and the executive. How have you found that process to try and influence them in a way that might help your members? Well, I suppose, and again, Colin, I often say we're an advocate and we advocate for the industry because we are the industry where lobbyists tend to be a hired gun that you bring in on a topic. Um, like me? But, yeah, that funny enough, you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> but it is, look, it, it, lots of people will think, well, you just tell the government and that's it. But, you know, you, you have an, an awful lot of time educating them. Uh, because if you take license laws are really complicated, that's why we, we need uh, legal specialists like yourself to deal with them. But when you try to then explain them to the layman, the MLA, who is not a specialist um, or the minister indeed, and then you try and talk about that, explain the complications and then explain the different implications if you change them. Uh, that's even before you, you know, you've got to convince them that the law needs reviewed. So that in itself takes a few years. And once you get to that point, then you have to push them to put out a public consultation. It goes to public consultation, comes back, and then there's what's called the scrutiny committees. So it goes through a period of time in the assembly through the scrutiny committees. And again, there you have to give evidence because the evidence that come back, you know, can be varied from different competing interests. Um, and, and after that, even even if then you convince them all attendant consequences of any plans to do it. And it then goes to the assembly floor twice. Well, sorry, I should say it then goes back to the, the Northern Ireland executive and if it doesn't get moved by them, it doesn't get done. 
and then goes to the, the, the floor of the House for two debates. So it's a long wind-up process. And, and I think anybody listening to the podcast will get that, but I suppose we also have to say that the process is so elongated that, of course, events can happen. Brexit can suddenly come in, for example, and put all the existing legislative process back. The Assembly, regrettably, could often collapse. You know, and uh, and next thing you know, you're all those hard hard earned yards, if you like, uh, are gone, and you have to almost start from the beginning. Absolutely, and look, that happened is during the process. We had the assembly collapse. We've had you get a change of minister, and that minister, you're moving on a priority for him. Exactly. And you go forward now. You look, there's an election coming. If we last to May, May, you could start off with a new cohort, a huge new cohort of new MLAs. You have to educate again, and of course, the minister, the minister portfolio could be from a certain party. Now that's fine. All, all parties are entitled to their different positions. But if one position from a party changes to another, then you, as an advocate, as you say, probably have to, to some degree, refine your messaging to that particular minister. I guess. Uh, absolutely. Look, and I, look, I think it's fair to say, um, you know. Not that long ago, um, the licensed trade part of hospitality was seen a bit of as a pariah, you yep. know, of, of sort of alcohol and stuff. And, and there was a lot of work there to educate them on the economic value of the industry, uh, the number of jobs, because hospitality itself, Northern Ireland's fourth largest private sector employer, two billion pound turnover a year. And it's even making the argument in, we buy a, a third of all Northern Ireland agri products. You know, so those bits have to play into it to people understand the key role that you play in the economy. And it's not just about sort of can you sell uh, a drink for an extra hour at night? It's the whole impact and customer demands and trends uh, and trying to win them across in that space. Do you feel the Assembly, you've been there for a while now, do you feel they become more aware of the commercial needs of business generally in Northern Ireland or do you feel that they're still struggling with that? Do you feel there's been an advancement there in saying, look, we need to cater for the commercial world because that's driving the economy? I, th- I think, you know, different parties have different views even on, you know, you'll have more, because we have a compulsory coalition um, and you have then in government parties from opposing polars, uh, you'll have some who are more socialist who, you know, it's more maybe not as business friendly or see that that's probably unfair, but to see the role of business in a different way. Yes. The right way to put it. So you have all of those challenges there and you do again. And I'm not knocking MLAs because it's important. They all come from different backgrounds, but, you know, maybe a lot of them have never been in business, understood business and indeed think when you sell them that steak and chips, that all of that money just goes in your pocket. They don't realise a clean 20% goes in VAT all over the overheads. So they think you're carting the money home in a wheelbarrow. Well, as, as, as a lawyer, Colin, who, as you know, has been involved in the uh, in dealing with MLAs, uh, advocating for the legal profession down the years, uh, we, we very much uh, hear you on that one. Um, but, but I would say, to have my sympathy with the uh, MLA to some degree, they are serving the constituency that has voted for them. And certainly as a lawyer, I mean, I have to recognise that usually no call in our firm acts for trade unions, but also acts for business. And that's a very different type of messaging you're doing uh, from the way you're speaking. 
in terms of uh, in terms of all we've talked about there, the interface between law and uh, licensing, the heavy regulation, the um, the legislative process generally in Northern Ireland, um, it's we're now going to come on to how did this scenario background lend itself to dealing with the pandemic that we've had, and obviously the very immediate effects on the hospitality industry. Yes, and again, look, it, it, it's. There's always that challenge in any government, even before the pandemic. If, if you like, if you look at a, even a local authority, you'll have part of a local authority is about economic development, so they're to help business. And then you'll have the regulatory side, the enforcement side from a council, say, on health and entertainment, who maybe see their role as they have to stop you doing stuff. Uh, and you scale that into the pandemic type of element. You know, it, it, you know you're, you're working with departments that and people you know, trying to explain them the need for help. But even that, at the same time you're talking there, you might have then a regularly part of government trying to stop you doing something that's going to help you there. Um, and you get caught in that vicious circle of, well, we, and, and it's a bit like, okay, and it seems I'm picking on license along here, but it's an easy one that's had a lot of, when we hit the pandemic, dine outside, you know, drink outside. Great. Let's move outside. No, you can't move outside because you don't have your liquor license outside. You know, and you get into this competing, you know, cycle where you're having to keep saying, look, well, look, we need to find a way around this. Well, look, to change the law will take another three years. Nobody has time. You know, um, it, it has been a minefield continuously on that and continues to be. I, I say I was surprised in some ways by the things that were let go to allow hotel industries, industry businesses to trade uh, during the pandemic period? No, they weren't let go. They That was us convincing the, the department to work in partnership. <laughs> I, 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 was a, I was quite surprised by how flexible yes. the various bodies were over the minutiae of the law to uh, further to our, our arguments and, uh, and uh, your advocacy. Uh, to to allow uh, the license license trade to 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 do some business during it is that a better way of putting it, Colin? It is, and look, I think you know, not to claim we were wonderful, but I think what happened a lot um, and what what reaped benefits was the length of time and effort we put into development relationships with government at all levels, but with the statutory bodies like PSNI and all. And I suppose it's like anything; it's building up that relationship with this trust there. Yes, and, that, and knowing what's reasonable, you know, it's it's you know, like all these things. If you give a bit of flexibility, then somebody you know, given out somebody takes a mile. So it's trying to always be, you know, come from this a, a problem solving, but within what's reasonable, uh, rather than trying to just chuck all regulation out the window for that period. That's correct, and, and I definitely find that in my role, and certainly working with you guys. Uh, a woman in, in, in the hospitality trade is that if even a bar owner in his local area or her local area has a good relationship with the local police licensing officer or even the local council, leaving aside we're talking high level stuff here about pandemic response, but I think it's a lesson for any licensed uh, business to, to maintain those relationships. It is amazing the help you can get at short notice when you're really in trouble if you have maintained those relationships locally. Look, Northern Ireland in particular, you know, it is that, you know, like with the size of Milton Keynes, we're smaller than Milton Keynes, I think, you know, generally everybody 
has connections and stuff. And and I think particularly in Northern Ireland, we're more of people people. If we you know and and you know, if you build that relationship, people will know where you're coming from. You build up trust, provided you don't abuse the relationship yes. and aren't looking something that that would compromise the person. But I think it's 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 coming at it from that approach. And I say it's it's right across the spectrum. We've seen flexibility given in, in lots of things. You know, we had industry pivoting to do home delivery uh, and stuff. But it, it was also to meant that, you know, and look, gosh, and I can't say they got everything right, but there was times when they came with a proposal of, you know, oh, it's all seated during COVID. And we were able to go straight away, well, look, how's that work in this business model and that business model? And at least some of those were able to go, okay, look, we can change that. We understand that or we can, you know, we understand that won't work exactly there. Um, but it, like it's always about relationship, trust, and confidentiality. I think in a, lo- a lot of this stuff. Absolutely. In terms, we're coming towards. Where do you think we are with the hospitality trade and the pandemic right now? Are we seeing light at the end of the tunnel? Yes, but is it a train coming the old uh, line? I think we're probably enter- entering uh, a, a really difficult period from the point of. The businesses and COVID. It's much in the early days of COVID. It was you know, okay. We, you were shut or whatever, and it was about fighting to get financial support. Um, we're open now to a degree, but there's still economic challenges. There's still the threat of will COVID. You know, will we get another lockdown? That impacts whether you can get staff to come back to work for you. You don't have a job, and also lots of the protections and support are away. We've just seen furlough end. Um, and Northern Ireland, I think off the top of my head, had the second highest level of people on furlough out of any UK region when we come out uh, there. So what happened to those people? But we're also seeing at the end of the financial year, the rent protection goes, VAT might go back up to 20%, the rates holiday ends, uh, and you know there's a lot of financial pressures there. People may have limped this far, but they may not have enough fuel to get over the line. This is my concern. From a legal point of view, and I'm not just talking about the hospitality trade here. Obviously, there's many challenges, staffing levels, particularly your industry, Colin. But, but, but as a lawyer who's who, who's acted for, don't hold it against me, financial institutions in the past. The the I can see a point where the government, and you can see it starting now with some of the news stories you're getting, are retrospectively looking at the COVID support. No. You can see that the landlords will now start to perhaps be less and maybe have been for some time less indulgent, shall we say. And 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 it's almost like I think to a certain degree many businesses have been in something of a particular room to a certain degree, in something of a bubble and which is not financial reality. And then we move in the next six months to year back into financial reality where creditors were paid yes things of this nature you know no very, look very much so and again when you take the rental market in northern ireland it's not like the gb market here most of the properties are owned maybe by small local firms indeed in hospitality maybe somebody that's retired and left the property and that's their pension coming in and if you've had people in rental properties not trying to make an effort to bring down that debt particularly since they opened um you know what's a landlord going to do uh, you know, all I can do is, is look the redress uh, once the protection's gone. 
And again, just, you know, we are in that world of um, costs are going through the roof. You know, we're under cost pre- rising cost pressures from all over. Have people, you know, some people got to the point of saying, you know what, um, it's just, I don't want to go on. Uh, I'll take out what cash you can and walk away. Uh, and I'm not, you know, there's a raft of elements there that, and even just look, you get to the end of financial year, you know, you're supposed to go back into some sort of normal banking. You look at your books and your gearings wrong, you actually are technically insolvent. Yes. The, the next period you won't, ha- you know, the minute you can trade technically insolvent because of all the protections. Yes. That appears. Just, uh, oh, just, just, I think the last thing I want to touch on is the new licensing changes that people have heard about. Now, these are coming in stages, uh, yeah. and there's more stages next year, but the one that people have heard about, uh, discussed, has been really the changes to ours. Um, those are those, those are briefly uh, late hours, and the uh, change at Easter hours, and everything else. Um, how, what do you think of um, how licensees are going to embrace these changes? Will they be taking advantage of the later hours, or have you noticed that's really a certain section of the of the trade going to do that? You no, know, it's mixed, and it should always start up a cent. Like I roughly a, a estimate is about. It works out about if you take in Easter and all the changes, we probably have about an extra two and a half hours of alcohol sales per week. You know, um, so it, it's not it's not it's not revolution, but it's modernisation, and it does give us. Most premises are happy with what they've got because they, you know very little demand to trade twenty four hours a day, or indeed trade to five or six uh, in the morning. It will be, look, it's like all of this um, across the spectre. There will be bits of the trade use it and bits of the trade won't. Uh, Easter, pretty much everybody, I think, will use because yeah. you lost, you seem, you know, everybody always focuses on Good Friday, but you'd limited that whole weekend. So you lost a, you basically lost a weekend out of your trading month, which was probably your profit margin for that month. So that, that will be an automatic. What we're seeing already is the automatic piece that allows you now to do a late night on a Sunday. Yes. It's already starting to show benefits. Um, and again, it, it's customer markets west of the band. Sunday's a bigger night than it would be east of the band. So that's the benefits there. And we're seeing a number of people now applying for the, the later night, um, which will allow them to sell to two and then drink up time would take you to three. So I think you will, you know, will, will your country pub go for 104 nights a year where they could sell to two, drink up to three? Very unlikely. They'll maybe take a few for New Year's Eve and that type of thing. But your bigger premises, uh, city centre and stuff, probably will. I, I've obviously spoken to a number of licensees about this and advised them accordingly. And, and it very much depends on how that, like, that some licensees want it all the time. Some licensees say, from time to time, what's the process you explain it? And they say, well, I need some for Christmas, but that's what I'll do. I'll come back and look at it again next year. And others are saying, I don't know if I have the custom. I don't know if my staff would enjoy doing that as well. And they just didn't proceed and are thinking about it. Um, how are your members finding the process of the whole thing, Colin? It's, it is a bit... Well, yeah, they're yeah. used to it. I, I suppose, look, two things, Colin. One, I think the, the good thing of the changes are, and it's when we talked about them, it was why we asked for this, that it would create different offerings within the trade, people could choose what their market was and stuff. So that helps to give you, a, you know, because you don't have 
enough people right across the province in every premise that want to stay at 3 a.m. So if some are closing earlier at one or whatever, it means people move on a lot later and you spread the, the business model about. Process-wise, look, it's a bit messy at the minute. There are temporary forms, temporary processes, even the fees, temporary, yeah. actually, you know, the other thing is get in now, it's half the price of what it will be when you uh, apply in a few months. I, I think half the price of being conservative, I think, would be important. <laughs> but I think, look, um, it, it is, look, it's been messy and we've had like talks even around the ad, what the ad and the paper requirements are and stuff. And I suppose, look, and it's not a plug for your sales, but look, people that specialise in licensing and law, like your sales, get it quickly and can react and do it. I think the challenge for me is maybe you've got premises who may be using their, their local solicitor, who, who are great people, I am sure, maybe for conveyance and stuff, but when they get into the nuances of our licensing laws, could be just just because they're not doing the volumes. Well, I'd also like to say, obviously, uh, that, thanks very much, Colin, for the plug. I'm not sure that's allowed by our regulations, but never mind. I would say that Hotside Luster does have a free legal helpline, so people phone me all the time. They may not use my services. They may just be looking for some comfort. A 20-minute, 30-minute phone call, maybe even less. And I'm always happy to pick up the phone to Hotside Luster members. I always say that, uh, you always come away from every conversation with a hot and also member learning something new. Maybe not be something you wanted to know. But <laughs> you certainly learned something new. Colin, I think that's us coming up uh, perhaps at the end of this. I know you have uh, you have other more important things to do, Colin, <laughs> speak the likes of me. But in any event, Colin, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on episode one of the podcast. Uh, I think that was very interesting. I hope our listeners uh, got something out of it. And uh, I'd like to thank you again. Paul, no, look, thank you. It's been a pleasure not to pay you to talk to you. Please check your inbox. <laughs>